welcome to episode 63 of the Contra Fabulous podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Ken Lane. And we are at home in lovely Hermosa Beach, although you did some traveling this week. Yeah, we're, uh, we're still here in Hermosa Beach, at least for another few weeks, but um, I went to Washington, D.C. this week. Uh, Was just- it swampy? Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was, I don't, I don't know how you, how you would drain that. It seems like it would be no oxygen, no moisture in the air if you actually drained it. I but, think uh, what, uh, to, I think you actually have to move the capital back to New York. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure some people would like that. Thanks, uh, Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't go downtown, actually. I flew into DCA and, um, I had a talk and well, actually, I did go downtown once. I went and, and met with a friend downtown uh, for lunch, but it was just in and out. Um, had a talk I needed to give, but even with the talk being, um, you know, it's like thirty minutes as part of like a three or four hour kind of discussion. I uh, um, did a lot of preparation, kind of looking uh, through government APIs, which, you know, honestly, I've done a little bit of since the election, but really haven't had. Um, the kind of, uh, I don't know, the <laughs> the bandwidth, the energy, the, um, you know, it seems like the, with the constant assault of news out of the White House every week, uh, I just didn't have the energy to, to be looking around at, at the state of APIs, but this talk gave me the, the opportunity to do so. And this was a calm week, right? No news, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't even know if that, that doesn't even exist anymore, but uh um, this one was up there. This week yeah, was up there. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, you know, that's what I actually talked about with, with my friends in government is, um, you know, who, who's left? Um, what's the roadmap look like? What are they doing? What's uh, the next steps look like? And, um, you know, talking about self-care, like what are they doing to just uh, make sure that they, they can maintain? Because, um, you know, honestly, a lot of them are dropping like flies. Uh, not, not like dying, um, this isn't Russia yet, but um, but leaving leaving government. Yeah, to to find other things to do. So, you know, as I kind of poked around government, talked to some folks, and then poked around digitally online, you know, you you start seeing um, some pretty big gaps when it comes to the leadership right now. And um, aside from all the the wackiness that we see week to week coming out of the the executive office. Um, Everything, pretty much everything, all the leadership from the last five to six years around APIs and open data is, is all gone now, too. As I was going through uh, the GSA, 18F, all the kind of central groups that have been uh, played an important role in moving this agenda forward, a lot of the links land on White House pages looking for some sort of you know API guide, digital strategy, open data you know mandate. And all of those are gone, and you get a, a, a general page saying, hey, they're working on things, we're glad you're interested in this topic, but um, if you want to actually find it, you have to go to the Obama archives and get a copy of it. So it's just a real real stark reminder of, of how much leadership is gone right now. There's, 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 there felt like, I would say probably half of the projects, more than half of the projects, they felt like there was nobody home. There was clear, you know, I mean, the obvious ones, EPA, you land on EPA's API page. 
and the last post was was right when they got in trouble and were told to stop, you know, tweeting and, and messaging. But then there was many other projects. Their last tweet, their last blog post, their last What's New or GitHub commit was basically in November, um, maybe December, and then radio silence. So um, just API leadership all the way up to the top um, just seems like oh, there's a lot, lot missing right now. So, I mean... Uh, I guess a couple of things. One is maybe you should contextualize like what, you know, what some what you say when you say Obama mandate, what that means for people who don't know. And then I'm I'm actually genuinely curious if if this is um if things aren't happening or if things are are returning to a more or a a, a less transparent kind of um IT infrastructure, um, right? So I, I'm curious. So that's that's two pieces because I, I think when you explain what the Obama mandate is, part of that was this shift towards using social media to um, and to uh, I think sharing both updates and then literally the code um, with the public that was new. I mean because the because IT isn't new to the federal government. I, the, I know people like to poo-poo the the um some of the problems that any large organization let alone the federal government face with with computer technologies but it's not as though everything was being you know written on index cards until magically code for america came along so maybe give some background to what this what the mandate was and whether or not you think like whether or not what you really think has changed yeah um, so so I mean the 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 mandate from the Obama administration pre- started in around 2009 um and and all the way through 11 and 12 where they were really trying to modernize um the IT infrastructure for the federal government. So yes, the AP, the API the IT groups have have long history in federal government. They've been uh doing, you know, working on the, you know, the the databases, the, all the the systems that make the machine run for many years. What what this really was is is Obama saying, "Hey, all the public data inventory, so um things that 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 are on our website that are data sets that are publicly available, things like the census, things like, you know, uh veterans hospitals to, you know, asteroids from NASA to weather data from NOAA, all of these things should be published published um not only on websites and made available to the public, but they be, should be made available in a in a machine readable way, aka APIs. And that's when I started paying attention to the federal government, which led to us eventually living in DC and and working um, on this this initiative or this the, you know the last administration's kind of mandate. And so all federal agencies were told to have a a developer portal where you could find the the data inventory, the APIs, and these aren't private things. This is public data inventory, and these are really important things like. You know, Food and Drug um, Administration has you know drug prescription data, research data. Um, you know, like I said, Census, National Parks, the has National Center for Education Statistics. Yeah, I mean, it's it goes on and on and on. I mean, when I just did this assessment, there's about a hundred age, a hundred developer portals across. I don't know how many agencies, but all the top level agencies have some sort of developer presence because of this mandate, and this is just making government more efficient and more transparent, more observable, and making it um, this data available to the private sector to 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 build on and 
you know, things like the census drive much of what we know around search engines and algorithms and social, um, you know, flu and healthcare things. There's a lot of this data that gets used by the public. So Obama, the Obama, and Obama administration really pushed on this agenda. And I, it's something that I've been working on for a while. So it's, it's still there. I mean, there's, you know, almost 500 APIs I found, you know, there are, st- you know, 20, 30,000 data sets available on data.gov. But really, you get this vibe that it's kind of in in this suspended motion, still moving forward. There's still momentum from the Obama administration, but with this this leadership vacuum, um, staff shift ups, which are normal to government, but um, from administration to administration. But a lot of people are gone, and so without this, a lot of these projects will go dormant. They'll go silent. And um, some some agencies are still working real hard. There's still plenty of evidence of, you know, interestingly, Department of Education has like two or three new API portals. They're actively soliciting feedback on uh, GitHub on what they should be doing. Um, oh, yeah, and, what are their new things? Do you happen um, to remember? Yeah, let me, I can pull it up real quick. But they have an interesting um, kind of portal approach to... Um, to like what they're doing because they um let me see one is i think my brother's keeper um let me see here but they um you can tell they're investing in it like it's still kind of a i don't know a, a polished look it's it, it looks nice it has apis um college scorecard civil rights data collection my brother's keeper um and that's pretty much it so basically um you know two of Two of those we started, or a couple of those we started touching on when we were doing the adopt agency stuff, and I and I've made kind of, you know, a ruckus about these. You know, if it's there's available as, as open data, it should be available via an API. So they're just kind of following the playbook, but but they're doing it. You know, they're 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 moving forward, which is good to see. But there's so much else that's not moving forward. You you can tell, and and we're just a few months in. Interesting. I mean, I find this is really interesting to me. I mean, particularly the Department of Education stuff, uh, partially because I think there is currently only an acting director of the Office of Education Technology, um, and the Department of Education. Uh, there was some reporting on it this week. Is just incredibly, um, like you say, like many of the departments and agencies, but just incredibly understaffed, and pe- positions aren't aren't getting filled. And of course, this year the um, I mean, I think there was some finger pointing, but the Department of Education got in a lot of trouble when one of their when one of their tools, um, the FAFSA, um, the 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 uh, FAFSA form, um, they had to take off offline the integration with IRS data that would auto complete um, for previous years. Uh, tax returns in, in a student's financial aid application. Um, uh, but I, I, so I, I'm curious what's, you know, I'm really curious what's happening at the Department of Education and if it's, uh, you know, if it's continuing this push for third-party developers to work with student data, right? So I'm really, um, you know, partially because of Betsy DeVos's push for quote-unquote personalization and vouchers and this idea of student data that is shared with both, I would say, both Democrats and the Republicans and then, of course, Silicon Valley, that sort of data 
that student data contains this wealth of knowledge that we need to mine and analyze in order to build to build project products. So that's interesting to me that that's going forward. I'm also really curious though because I've heard very little um, if if it's if again one of the flaws I think that uh, or one of the things that Obama partially wanted to address with the way in which um, the government IT worked historically was that it was very um, it were these huge RFPs that were very difficult to negotiate and tended to be you know tech wise the these things tended to be won by giant uh, not even necessarily tech companies, giant consulting companies that would then farm out the tech um, to to tech companies. Sort of the Booz Allen, right? The Booz Allen model of of outsourcing the uh, the work of IT um, uh, uh, um, elsewhere. So I'm curious, but so I'm curious if some of the what we're seeing isn't simply nobody's home, but also what we're going to find is that um, you know partially because people got in trouble for speaking out against some of the actions of the Trump administration. I'm just curious if people are being less open, and that's a, I have to imagine I'm using air quotes, but less open and transparent about what they're up to, um, not not because they're up to necessarily up to nefarious deeds, um, but because sort of nobody wants attention either from Trump or from the from journalists. Yeah, it's really hard to tell unless I reach out to some of these groups, which I'm gonna. I'm I'm starting to ping and say, "Hey, anybody home? Hey, anybody home?" Because I'm gonna try to quantify that. Did it go dormant because money ran out? You know, change of staff. You know, fear of of putting things out there. But like I said, you know, there is actually some activity, and I would say I would add a, another category there that maybe some people are taking advantage of just going forward. If there's a vacuum in leadership, like. Let's just get some of this done and pushed out. How can and there be a vacuum in leadership? Isn't this what Jared Kushner is supposed to be in charge of? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the, you know, uh, USDS kind of out of the White House portion of this. But, you know, the GSA is very full. You know, um, I'm meeting with uh, the GSA API group later this month in August and, and talk about their strategy. They're moving, you know, full full steam ahead. They're not slowed by anything. Um, so they're still building on and, and aggregating the work that they've done in trying to push this forward as they see fit. And then certain agencies go to census and they're, they're full steam ahead on, on, you know, getting ready for the, the census and making sure there's a lot of digital infrastructure in place, despite, you know, the, the leadership gap there and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, I'm optimistic about that. There's still good people in government doing things. You know, I think these are the people that, that the Trump administration really wants to target as part of their kind of drain the swamp campaign. Um, and, I think that's the most dangerous aspect of what we're seeing. So that, that chilling effect that that's having across these, these API and open data programs or incentivizing, if I can find, you know, pockets of, of to shine a light on, you know, yay, but um, we shouldn't have to have a kind of dark administration and, and vision to, to get there. Yeah. So this question of um, draining the swamp and this rhetoric about, you know, the, this rhetoric that, um, that, that Trump, Ran on that I think that it appealed to um, appealed to a good number of, of of folks was that DC is full of full of um, I don't know I, I don't actually I, I have a hard time sometimes like restating these positions because they seem uh, kind of strange to me but the DC was full of sort of um, 
that the that the federal government was was full of sort of these corrupt um, corrupt people who were sort of doing things. I don't anyway. But um, so the idea was to sort of really get rid of any longtime civil servant that somehow there they were they had been participating in the system for so long that they were the they were sort of part of the part of the flaw with with government. So it's part of this multi-pronged attack I think that of Trump and and broader forces in our um in our society that are against expertise, right? And against experience, um and anti-intellectualism and anti-science. Um and there was an article in Vanity Fair this week that actually I mean despite all of the wild things that happened uh, this week, this I think was one of the most frightening, the fright was one of the most frightening for me. Um, it wasn't Scaramucci or, um, you know, Trump stating military policy on Twitter and then generals pushing the Pentagon pushing back. I, I think it was this story about um, the the Department of Energy. Yeah, and just what you know, the one thing I learned when I went to, to DC is just how big the scope is of some of these things in government. And I think it's easy when you're a, a couch um, commentator, peanut gallery, to say, hey, we, you know, just figure that out. Fix the veterans' affairs. Fix whatever. Get rid of whatever um, without any awareness of actually how big these these institutions are and, and the scope of what they're doing. And the Department of Energy, you know, um, if you're if you're believing in the simplistic rhetoric, you know, does nothing and and just um, gets in the way of, of businesses, you know, um, doing good and making money. And um, they but yet they are actually, you know, why we have um, even, you know, the, the, the energy grid we have, why we have um, the infrastructure, the dams, the, you know, all these things that it takes so that we can have power to our houses. But they do so, you know, they run nuclear facilities. So you have to have competent people around who can make decisions about what to do at these facilities. You can't just drain the swamp and say this stuff's going to run itself. And so this stuff's dangerous. Um, I mean, it's not just our, our energy infrastructure. You know, it's our you know military and, and defense. And there's so much to it. And when you start pumping people full of this anti-government stuff, this kind of blind attack, it's really damaging. It's scary. Right. So, I mean, I think famously the um, or the person that Trump appointed to run the DOE um, is uh, Rick Perry, the, the former governor of Texas, who famously, when he was running for president, sort of said the what were the, you know, he was asked, like, or he sort of ran on this idea that he was going to get rid of three of the departments, um, uh, education, the Department of Education, the Department of Commerce, and then he famously forgot what the third one was. But the third one was actually, if he would have remembered his notes, the Department of Energy. And I think that Rick Perry thought that what the Department of Energy does is regulate the oil industry. But that's not what the Department of Energy does, right? And so I think that there's, there's you know, again, and sort of there's this, there is this, I guess, embrace of an ignorance of how government runs and what, and that that's sort of become 
policy to replace people who know um, who know the machinations, who know the inner workings of these systems, with people who are outside them, outside these systems, as though, again, like so, we should run government like a business, right? We hear that, you know, I hear that with schools all the time. We need to run schools like a business. Um, and even if that were a good idea, perhaps choosing a business person like Trump um, is is not a good idea, since he is at best a mediocre, a mediocre businessman. Um, but I think it's this willful then replacement of people, and you see this energy, which is really frightening. I think for me, partially, be, I mean, entirely because of my childhood fears around nuclear holocaust. But we see this at the Department of State, right, where they are purposefully sort of chasing out people who have worked in the Foreign Service um, for decades um, and and not replacing them or replacing them with sort of not even political cronies, right? It's not even as though the folks who are getting replaced have have political experience where they're getting replaced with with people like uh, Anthony Scaramucci who apparently doesn't even know how it works when you talk with a reporter, what the concept of on the record is. Well, I mean, we saw, I saw it firsthand at at Department of Veterans Affairs during the last shutdown, what happens when a whole bunch of people, you know, are told to leave and, and you shut down systems, you know, what does that do to people receiving their, their disabilities, people receiving, you know, uh, healthcare benefits, people being there to man suicide hotlines. It's just, it's easy for people to get all caught up in the rhetoric of anti-government because they see, you know, energy being in the way of businesses, EPA, you know, being in the way of businesses, but not at all having discussions about, you know, what grants from these agencies do for your local water municipality, what it does for your local energy co-op, what it does, you know, for bringing down your energy prices, like all the the positive effects that government have and, and the damaging effects when you let people like this in. And basically, I mean, it's it's the opposite of what everyone I hear is saying, you know, Trump's going to drain the swamp. It's like he's opening up these slots and letting just really incompetent people come in making a toxic environment so these really qualified people who know these systems and understand how they work um, don't want to be in government and exit and then what we end up with in that environment is just an ineffective uh, government that does you know further continues not serving the American people and 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 putting in, putting them directly in, in harm's way because it's the one thing that stands you know in between you and, and the nuclear disaster you and the the natural disaster or you and and Wall Street and uh, it's just really terrifying what what they're doing with you know this dismantling of of everything that we know. I think that there I mean there are a couple of I think that there are a couple of threads here that are, you know, obviously I think that the Trump administration is so emblematic of, but I think that that this is why, I mean, I think that this is why this is, you know, this is actually pertinent to conversations about the politics of tech too, right? So when you get rid of of career, of people who are career civil servants, right? People who've worked for the government, um, even if they came, I would say even this, even if they came into government under the wave of people who who did so when Barack Obama was elected. So let's say they, are, they haven't worked in government for decades, but they've worked in government now 
for eight years. They have a good idea of how the federal government operates. Um, and when you've made a commitment to stay, not just the full the full um, the full two terms of a of a president, but then stay on when the um, party leadership changes. Um, then you, your your commitment is not to the party. Your commitment is to as 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 the pledge you take suggests. Your your commitment is to the country, right? And so what you're doing, I think, is that you're making a long like you're you're in this for the for a long term investment because, or you're in it for the long term because, these things require a long term investment. Like we aren't going to quote unquote fix education or we aren't going to fix the transportation system in the U.S. We aren't going to, quote, fix um, how the the energy industry works. We aren't going to, quote, fix um, appropriations, right, or, or the RFP process with, an, with a short-term quick and easy solution. These are, these are complex problems and they were, they, there, there is not even a complex solution. There are many, many moving pieces and moving parts and solutions along the way, but it's a long-term, it's a long-term commitment to make a certain kind of change, um, for the better of the country. Right. And so, but I think that the tech, the world of tech is, is really into these short-term product-based fixes, right? That's part of the ideology, I think, what I call like the Silicon Valley ideology, is that there is no sort of long-term commitment. It really is just about the thing that you can sell consumers or sell businesses or sell schools right now that purports to be a fix, um, that purports to address a pain point, but it's really just a short-term sort of product that probably doesn't, it doesn't address any of the underlying structural issues and, you know, dare I say, oftentimes um, creates a whole new set of problems. So, you know, this idea that, um, and I think that that's why, that's why the government needs, that's why the government, the federal government, state government, local government, um, schools need people that are there for that have a longer experience because you can't just get things you can't just get things done and if you have this sort of short term pivot move fast and break things um, ideology right and so I think you know draining the swamp is draining expertise but then it's i think it's it's has this sort of series of ramifications about replacing it with people who are really interested in um uh when you and then when you politicize this right when you say we've got to fire all of these we've got to fire at everyone at the EPA cuz they must be environmentalists right or we've got to fire everybody that came in under Obama because they must be um you know liberals um, what you do is you're you're politicizing a lot more of the um, you're you're politicizing things that I think just can't they can't be politicized in that in in that kind of way if you ever want to move towards um, any kind of you know fixing any of these any of these issues. Well, and, and this blind belief that technology if you just if if you just believe in technology and apply technology right and, and modern technology that is going to fix all of this right away with no acknowledgement of of the scope of the problem 
the the history, the legacy, the the foundation that's there. And I've watched this over the last five years, you know, in the creation of 18F out of GSA and the the um, the U.S. Digital Services out of the White House is like, you know, they're they're having wins and they're and they're doing good things. You know, one of the things out of the 18F is their their micro procurement. So kind of leading back to what you were saying about the scope of these these contracts and and the scope of the country who who get them is starting to have conversations about how can we fund things in smaller bite sized chunks. So so they're having. Um, successes but you see that's that's kind of the, the result of trying to do other smaller projects like agile and lean and microservices all these very technology driven things and coming down to well actually the money drives a lot of this and we have to address some of the money aspects of procurement before technology is going to have any good so do any good and so this is you know wave after wave of technology you know through 18f and usds slamming up against the 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 government machine and learning along the way but really not having that massive of an effect yeah they're they're launching new apps and they're launching new apis and they're launching new data sets but not at the rate or the pace or the scale that we could be because this is big and this is a big problem and you can't dismantle uh, a legacy system that's been up since the 60s or 70s, you know, tracking on, on digital healthcare records or running a nuclear facility with some brand new mobile app and a backend in Go, if you don't understand, you know, um, Java or Delphi or whatever that, that original system was built in, if you don't have anybody with those skills who can dive in and, and support that legacy system in this transition, be a domain expertise in this area of energy, of weather, of the environment, of budgets, of regulatory, whatever, whatever, you're not going to get it done. And so technology isn't just a solution. There's a lot of other more business, um, you know, budgetary and, and political effects that you need people who have the experience to understand how to unwind this. Otherwise, it comes crashing down and much of our society depends on this staying up and operational. Yeah, and I think that that's, you know, I think that, that this week was um, such an interesting, um, I mean, and I, I, I mean, not just this week, this week was sort of like the, uh, you know, the, the uh, had this sort of moment, I was up late, I guess you were out of town, so it must have been Thursday night, or it was Friday morning, I suppose, D.C. time, um, when the Senate voted on this amendment, um, you know, to, to sort of uh, the skinny bill, right, to unravel, to unravel the Affordable Care Act. And, you know, it's interesting to thinking about the ways in which um, health care, even since, you know, even since, what was it, 2000, when was Barack Obama, 2008? Was that when he was, 2000, when did, or 2004? Anyway, that Barack, you know, that, um, yeah, no, 2008. So that, you know, that how quickly this expectation, how quickly um, healthcare became infrastructure in people's day-to-day -day lives. And now I know that a lot of people, and I would say myself, like a lot of people are not happy with the way in which the Affordable Care Act works. Premiums are still too expensive. But um, already I think that within, just within the past eight years, uh, People, Americans have come to expect that the government, that that the that they're not sort of on their own when it come when it comes to uh, health insurance, and so I think even even though the 
the Republicans have been railing against Obamacare and, and clearly calling it Obamacare, right, tying it to the first black president. But I think that, you know, this health insurance has 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 become part of the has become part of the infrastructure that people have come to expect just like people expect to be able to go to Yellowstone in the summertime people expect um, the you know they expect the air traffic control system to operate people expect to get their tax refunds and um, people you know people expect to get their social security benefits on time um, it's become part of the infrastructure that people expect but what's happened I think is that the, the, but the, the other pieces of it haven't fully been built out that in part by hoping to undermine it right there I think the Republicans have hoped that it would simply go away but I think that that's part of what they're wreck having to, they're going to have to reconcile as a as a party and I think you know with this president too is you can't just say drain the swamp and you know march into Washington DC and uh, and sort of magically get rid of a bureaucracy like it just doesn't um it doesn't it doesn't happen that way. I mean, particularly, clearly, if you're someone like Trump, who's so invested in this sort of nepotistic way. And I think that, you know, I, mean, I think that perhaps, I'm not going to say that he's a master strategist, perhaps Steve Bannon thinks that he's a master strategist, that that government is simply going to fail. But um, I don't think that that's, I, I don't think that that's, uh, again, that's sort of easier easier said than done. And so, you know, but I think what we are facing is we're facing a, a failure to address some of these infrastructure pieces um, and both technologically and politically. And I think that what we saw this week um, with the healthcare vote um, is really just one glimmer of, I think, a bunch of stuff that's going to, I think, kind of collapse under the own weight, the weight of its own ineptitude and in not understanding, like you said, how this government machine operates. Yeah, um, I mean, the I, I just see across government right now people who don't have the experience to be there and and understand, you know, it was bad enough when it was kind of okay. We got a bunch of grown-ups in D.C. and we're gonna we're gonna let open up the floodgates to to all these these young minds from from Silicon Valley. We we can apply right, the code dot org or code dot org code. Yeah, that's a different story. Uh, code for America model. Code right? for America model or presidential innovation fellowship model. You know that I was part of. You know it's like all right. Um, well, you know let's retool this. Re let's rethink this. Let's mature this idea. Um, and and see how we can best use all of these this technology and these these practices and apply them sensibly, um, but that had a lot of dangers and a lot of scary the, op the the open data movement that kind of preceded that you know um, just the kind of blind you know movement from Silicon Valley straight into government but that was actually much more refreshing than what I what I kind of got a glimpse of and a snapshot of this last week and taking a look at. At, at how we're doing. I mean, I, I still have hope that some of these agencies are going to pull through, but um, I, I, I just don't know. I mean, once this starts, this starts unwinding and, and government dismantles, as they say, I just, I'm not convinced it's going to be that easy to put it all back together again. And, and what we built with Obamacare, whether they like it or not, it's, it's there. It's, it's not perfect, but it's, it's a start, like you said. 
Well, I mean, and I think, you know, I think we're running up on our, on time now, but, um, you know, I think that one of the places in which the sort of technological, um, the sort of not really thinking through the, the, the technological um, implications of what we're doing with government services, but then also fostering a certain kind of narrative about that is um, what we've seen this week with the voting machines at DEF CON, right? So um, there's a lot, you know, how, how so many of our um, institutions, but particularly government, I think operates a lot on, we just, we, on the, the belief that this, that it's going to happen. Like, like you, you wouldn't be able to sort of like anyone over 65 really would, would not be able, or most people over 65 would not be able to sort of go on with their day-to-day -day lives if they didn't have faith that, that their social security check was going to show up in their bank account. Right. We have, we believe that the government is going to continue to function and we believe, or we have believed until 2016 that when we held an election in the United States that the vote tally was accurate right and so I think that what we're gonna what we are seeing is that the sort of undermining of the conf like we're undermining our confidence in government undermining expertise and then the sort of technological um, the sort of technological problems as well I, I yeah it, it doesn't look good but um, I think that the discussion of, of voting machines is a whole other, a whole other discussion for another time. Well, I think that's a, you know, part of a larger digitization and kind of, you know, as we're blindly moving all this technology forward, we're not ha we're not having the the hard we're not answering the hard questions about sustainability, reliability, dependability, stability, security, all these things, and and seeing some of these APIs that I had had a hand in standing up that provide vital feeds, vital data information for veterans and other people when I click on the link they're gone now so that program's gone for whatever reason that if we're going to be injecting tech into these conversations and then they're not sustainable why are we doing it you know we should go back to a you know a phone bank of people who care for the suicide hotline rather than some you know online digital mobile application if 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 it's not going to function and we're not going to support it so I think you know there's a lot of hard you know, questions about technology that, that we need to be, we need to be talking about. Yeah. Awesome. Um, cool. Well, yeah, that's, it's, uh, it's grim. This week was really grim. I feel like I aged like two years this week. Yeah. DC was tough for me. I didn't get much else done other than those few days. So, well, let's see if we can keep it up until next All time. Right. Until next time. <laughs>